0: It makes me very, very happy and it helps the channel grow and feel free to tell your friends, your family, your pets, whoever you want to share this with and let's work out together. and welcome back to episode 283 of the Simply Fit podcast. We've had some truly incredible guests so far this year and specifically in the area of mindset. And as we know, your mindset can be a huge, huge factor when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals and just about any goal in your life as a matter of fact. So today I'm going to present you with some of the best tips I've heard this year from our guests on how to improve and transform your mindset. So the first comes from author and speaker, Michael Anthony. And if you needed a kick up the butt, episode 265 is the place to go. And in this episode, I asked Michael a question about how we can escape the average slash mediocre place that we may be finding ourselves in. I'm going to say this with a pinch of salt, but I think you'll probably agree with me. It's almost like rock bottom is a bit of a blessing because there's really no way further down, right? And it's also a very stable place to stand up from. But my concern is for... Of course, people who hit rock bottom, but those people who are in that little area between rock bottom and just sitting in mediocrity, but haven't quite had that instance where they're thinking, okay, well, life's really terrible at this point. But they're kind of like in the zone where they don't want to be in. It's kind of this gray area of mediocrity. They're just keeping going because it's not awful, but it's also not great. It's just below average. So do you have any advice for those people who are stuck in that? Because you know, it's very easy to say, I'm at rock bottom. I need to get out here. There's only one way up. Whereas when you're still here, there's still that little bit to go. And it's like, well, it could be rock bottom. So I'm wondering, do you have any advice for people who are stuck in that area? Because I feel that's a large portion of people.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing question. My friend Lisa Bilyeu just wrote a book called Radical Confidence. And I was reading it the other day, because I want to support my friend and I like to learn. And and she had a terminology in there that ex- explains to a T what you just said. It's called the purgatory of the mundane. And that's a, that's a dangerous place to be, bro, because you ain't living and you ain't dying. You're just trapped. You're trapped. And I think the only way that you get out of that place, because that's where I was, like prior to rock bottom, I believe that you are in the purgatory of the mundane right? And so if I go look at my life from 21 to 25 and a half, that was purgatory of the mundane. I'd wake up every day. I'd put on fucking khakis, which I hate. I'd go and sit at a desk after eating McDonald's, literally routine every day, wake up, smoke a cigarette, get stoned, get in my car, drive to work, get McDonald's, who is probably going to see me one day. They're fucking poison. Fuck you, McDonald's. And I would be there and All day long, you'd hear water cooler talk, people share their bullshit stories, and for eight hours a day, I'd do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. And then I would get my little two-week paycheck, I'd go home, I'd get high again, I'd probably get drunk because I lived above a bar and I had a $2,000 a month bar tab, and then I'd go to bed. And I would do it all over again. Now, on the fun occasions, it would be fucking strip clubs and it would be bachelor parties and it would be like party buses. There's a video I pulled up of myself that I'm using in in this new training that I'm building where I was at my heaviest and we're at some fucking house party or something. I'm shotgunning beers, just mad, just like bam, 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 right? 24 years old that's the purgatory of the mundane. Your life isn't getting better, but it's not getting worse, but it's also not doing anything of substance. And I I think that if that's where you are, the greatest thing that you can do, Jordan Peterson said this, and this is the same thing that actually changed my life. He said, go sit on the edge of your bed in silence for 15 minutes. And whatever that thing that shows up is the thing that you need to deal with, and you're not going to like it. But if you want your life to be different, that's what you need to handle. And I think if you're in that place where life is just kind of blah, you're not excited. Well, like rock bottom is probably inevitable. Like that's the gateway. Like it truly is because you're not doing anything to make your life better. But let's go into something tangible here. What I think people could execute on immediately. Go and volunteer. Go and volunteer. Go to a nursing home. Go to a children's hospital where kids are dying go to a homeless shelter, go to the fucking dog shelter. I don't give a shit. Go and be of service. Stop being so fucking selfish all the time and see how different your life can be. Because people will complain all that, my life's so boring. It's not interesting. Well, what are you going to do about it? There are people who probably need you and you're being super selfish by not giving them what you have. And ultimately you have a choice to make. You can sit in that world And I promise you, since I've been there, it's not that great. There's nothing more boring to me on planet Earth today than going and shotgunning beers. There's a 0% chance that's happening, right? But I, I feel so empowered and so full of life and so much pleasure and joy and fulfillment by going and serving other people. And I think that if you're trapped in that place, the inevitability of rock bottom is only a decision away. The next key to mindset success comes in
0: episode two hundred and seventy-seven with Anthony Walsh. Anthony goes through how he's able to stay super focused, slash, borderline obsessed with his goals, while still making time for the things that are truly important to him. Here's what he had to say. And I'm curious to understand that a little bit more about yourself as well, because if, it doesn't sound like you do things in half. So you don't set up a cafe, a business, you know, well, several businesses, and then go all in on a podcast you know, and you try you know, to you know, hit the heights of professional cycling, you know, all in one. While most people don't anyway. So I'm curious to see where that all become kind of that obsessive personality in regards to things that you genuinely enjoy, such as the cycling, but also things that it sounds like you don't enjoy too much in the law side of things, the entrepreneurial journey at times. So where does that come from? And how do you manage it these days?
2: I think I try to make decisions I for better or worse. Uh, a lot of people kind of maybe drift at points in their mm-hmm. life and they're like, oh, I'm not really sure how I got there. I just kind of drifted down this path. So I was always conscious when I just, I've been fascinated with people's behavior. And I remember taking a, a psychology course years ago in university and I was just fascinated by human behavior. And I always observed that people are like, oh, I don't really know how I got here. Like I'm 50, I'm in this job, I'm in this house. And I never really chose that. And that always scared the shit out of me. And I was like, okay, I'm never going to not consciously choose my own path. So I've always tried to make hard decisions and audit at points in my life. And, you know, the calendar year is an obvious one, or your birthday is another obvious one where you go, okay, am I in a place where I like my life? Or am I moving towards something? You know, actually it was uh, funny that we talked about Rich Raw. I did listen to his podcast for the first time. Uh, I, put a sauna into my apartment. And so I've been playing around listening to a little bit more podcasts in the sauna in the evenings. And I listened to Richard all last week and he had this idea of people have a vision that they're going to be surrounded by their loved ones in their old age. And, you know, as you, you know, come towards your twilight years, you're going to be surrounded by kids and grandkids in this loving environment. But they never reverse engineer that to think, okay, well, I'm 50 years old now and I have no relationship with my son, I don't have any grandkids and I have no circle of friends. Like where's this magical grouping and coming together of people when you're 80 going to happen from. So I've always been good on reverse engineering stuff and going, okay, well, what's the destination look like? And then auditing my behavior and go, okay, well, if that's the destination, are my current habits aligned to get me there? And I think so much of that comes from cycling. We're so performance and goal orientated in cycling that at the start of the season as a, you know, aspiring pro, I would have said, okay, I want to get a podium in the national championships. And that's in June. Okay. So if I want to do that in June, where does my fitness need to be in May? You know, I'm not going to be, you know, not finishing races in May and then suddenly come out with a woodwork and get a podium in the national championships in June. So I need to be getting top 10 in regional races in May. And then you take that back to April and go, okay, well, if I'm going to get top 10 in regional races in May, well, where do I need to be in April? And if you keep reverse engineering that all the way back, you go, well, what do I need to do like today? What do I need to do like right now? What needs to happen in this next 60 seconds to start calibrating me? And in that way, you can set up like a domino chain reaction where I only have to do the next thing and keep doing the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And it should take you to your ultimate goal. So I've always tried to do that in, you know, professional, personal, even relationships and say, okay, is our alignment here
0: so we always hear advice on how to get started how to get motivated etc but no one ever speaks about how we can maintain the improvements we make to our mindsets in the long term so in episode 267 i asked anxiety mindset coach georgie collinson how we can maintain the improvements we make in our mindsets once and for all i want to go into like the more long-lasting impacts that we need to make in terms of longevity. I feel like a lot of us can make these changes immediately. Like, yep, I'm going to take this month off. I'm really going to start to prioritize things. I understand where this drive and this desire comes from, but then it's one or I was going to say one year, but I think that's quite kind. Maybe it's like three or six months down the line, you know, the next stressful situation comes in and we go back to some of those unhelpful coping mechanisms. So I think the big question I have is on longevity and how we are able to maintain this position of self-love, compassion, doing the things for the right reasons and not for the reasons that people place their expectations on us or society's expectations. How do we continue on this road for years and years to come so we can actually live the lives that we were actually supposed to live maybe, or at least that we
3: wanted to live. Yeah. I love that question so much because you really brought it back to, back to, I suppose, a reality. I mean, like it's on one hand, it's sort of easy to sit here. I was telling you before we we hit record on this call, I'm in this co working space where everyone has a communal lunch every day. There's a few of the mountains. You can work by the pool. It's incredible that this is not everyone's reality and it's not my reality all the time. I'm just here for the time being for a few weeks. And so so really, I have this concept that I work with, with people called creating certainty. And that comes from the first question to ask is, can you picture where you're going to be in five years from now? And most people probably a bit foggy on that. And if you're already kind of like a bit unclear, like, well, it depends on all these things. It depends on this. It depends on that. That's an indicator that you're very much influenced by the external circumstances on your of your life, determining you and how you're going to behave and respond and where you're going to be. So then we have to look at firstly, acknowledging that, that you're very controlled by your external world and take back the power here because the power is really in you and how you respond to the environment and if you can be certain about the qualities in yourself and how you will continue to respond no matter what life challenges come your way no matter if you lose that job or that relationship ends or there's a new relationship or there's a the word bushfire just came to my head i don't know if that's the thing But like floods we've had a lot of recently like whatever comes your way what can you be certain about within yourself and how you will respond. And that's where we can start to develop a real, a real resilience. And of course, there's the, the habits, the lifestyle habits have to come into it. Looking after ourselves, getting enough sleep, feeding ourselves food that's going to nourish us and, and, and looking after our gut health. All of this helps your brain to be in a state where it can respond to stresses in your life in a more responsive way, not a reactive way where you can sit back and kind of take that in and absorb that stress. We all know after a bad night's sleep, you're not going to be, you're going to be more easily triggered by something stressful that happens. That's low resilience. So we can build that resilience up, but we've also got to look at where the certainty comes from within yourself. And so this is recognizing and acknowledging and, and telling the story of how capable you are and how able you are to move through life's challenges because you've survived every single one that's come your way so far. It's looking at what do you know to be certain about you in five Five years from now? Is it your creativity? Is it the fact that you're very resourceful? Is it the fact that you can always make the most of the situation that you're in or that you, you're starting to learn that and you have that ability to make the meaning of your life no matter what happens? So let's say you think, you know, I've I've, I've been through this, like thought I met the love of my life. And when that relationship ended, I w- was confused because I was like, well, hang on, this isn't how the story was meant to go. And the meaning I made that for a period of time going through the the grief of it was that this has gone wrong, similar to my parents' divorce story. So you have to change the meaning of the story. So my parents' divorce isn't everything gone wrong to me. It was always meant to be that way. I wouldn't be who I am without that happening. And same with this, this story about uh, meeting the love of my life. Well, it, he wasn't the love of my life. There's more than that. So that's the story I'm living. I'll always make the meaning of it something that serves me. I don't have to tell the story that that's it. You know, we can always change that. We have such a malleable ability within us to change our perception. And in that, we have so much power. Can it be the certainty that you'll always be a kind person? Or at least you try to be kind to others. And therefore, you seek meaningful connections in your life. And so even if people pass away or friendships end or relationships end, you have such a powerful ability within you to connect to people and to have a community around you. This is where we can create a sense of certainty in all this uncertainty and the chaos of life that if we can carry that and nurture that within ourselves and nurture those belief systems doesn't matter what comes
0: your way. Next up, we have one of my favorite guests from this year, behavioral and cognitive psychotherapist, Thomas Midgley. And in episode 261, I got the opportunity to ask about the value of our inner critic. It's been a question I've been working through for some time. And if you're going to have a strong mindset, the inner critic is incredibly important to be aware of. Here's what he had to say on that topic. Yeah, it's fascinating you say that. And I'm interested to hear your experience with the clients you've worked with, because I've always had this back and forth for myself about the value of the inner critic, the value of choosing the stick over the carrot. Because if you do look at the most highlighted sets of individuals, the athletes, the musicians, the people who thrive and perform at their best, they're all, you know, applauded with all of this praise, and then obviously things maybe turn a little bit south later down in the, down the line. But you know, you'll have people like Michael Jordan who will, you know, reflect on his life and says he regrets nothing. But if you watch his latest documentary, he looks pretty miserable. So it's one of those things. It's like, do you think that that's um, a more effective strategy, even if it ends up with a uh, long term consequences? Because I'm always like, well, I think if I'm honest, based on my experience, I think the stick, the, you know, the inner critic being incredibly harsh actually does lead to you working a little bit harder and striving a little bit more than the compassionate. That's at least been my experience until this point. But I also know at the same time, rationally speaking, it doesn't sound sustainable whatsoever. So can you break that
4: down for me and then give me the answer to the question of my past few years? It's a great question because it's probably the main thing you end up dealing with in in a, with a lot of people. And that's because a lot of people will have had positive, well, they think they've had positive experience from their inner critic. This is where we get a tiny bit more complex, but hopefully kind of roll with it a little bit. So we develop an inner critic typically out of two, in my experience, two main domains. One, either our experience of criticism, and that might not be at us. Let's imagine our, our primary role model is, is highly self-critical. Let's imagine you've got a mum or a dad who is you know because you're like oh i hate how i look or oh, i'm on diets or i'm not good at this so you've got like example one example two you know your role models it might be parents it might be friends or your environment is highly critical of others let's say fat shaming or critical of people that don't try hard enough or there's a lot though pervasive criticism or at worst, people are actually criticizing and attacking you if you experience it consistently any of that you're going to develop that internal structure in your mind because Helpful to touch on another uh, basic element of psychology is that when we're born, we really we don't have one mind; we have multiple minds. When we're born, we tend to have one mind, which is highly egocentric. Which is, you know, a child is just focused on getting their needs met. I need to give me food, scream, give me attention, help me sleep, and the parents are the external or the caregivers, the external element that helps soothe, calm, control, you know, protect. You know, the point of adolescence is we internalize. These external support structures, teachers, peers, parents, uncles, aunties, siblings, that creates our own capacity to then manage ourselves. And then at the end of adolescence, we need to kind of separate from our parents to consolidate that. Now, those early experiences of what our culture and community environment like then determine what our minds are like. We don't have any we have limited free will in this. But that then, so within that, if, it, if we grow up in a highly critical, and it might not be directed at us, then we're going to internalize that and develop that. And then the problem with that criticism, it only will generate misery fundamentally. So we are either then with that steep into an inescapable depression or we will fight back. And how we fight back is we develop a structure, which we kind of all have, which I described as that drive system, which you can kind of reflect as a controller. So it's almost this, a separate part that then says I'm going to achieve. I'm going to strive. I'm not. If my critic says I'm rubbish, I'm going to prove it wrong. And, I'm, and I'll and i show you what, in maths I'm not rubbish. I'm going to focus on maths. And at running, i not rubbish. And you actually build this other structure that then drives. But the problem is, is it's never enough because you keep striving. And So it's not the inner critic that's the bit that... So I work with a lot of people that are highly successful. And they're like, well, I don't want to give it up because it's my superpower. What you help them realize is, no, 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 that's not the superpower. It's what you built in, in response to it that becomes the superpower. What we want to do is... And the problem is, is that it's not a superpower unless you can turn it off. And A lot of these individuals can't turn it off; they have it either full blown on, and then when it doesn't work, the inner critic then batters the hell out of them and then so they try and escape that and as long as they keep living in that world you know and then they keep busy obsessed or focused on whatever form it is, then in their minds they're in control and they're they're successful but in a weird way, it's not that they're not it's just it's a plaster covering up you know it's a plaster and a painkiller covering up an infection is that yeah it's doing it's stopping the pain it's doing a good job in some respects. It's not actually treating the underlying issue that's the mechanism. So a lot of people are fearful of giving up their inner critic because they think they'll lose that superpower. And actually what you help them realise is that we're not just getting rid of the inner critic, we're actually upgrading it and modifying it with from their own experience, what gets the best out of them? So you can think about, was it the nasty, critical teacher that got the best out of you? And lots of people have of those. I have a lot. Or was it a different teacher that got the best out of you? And normally it's that, oh, no, it was the teacher that was hard, made me hard on me, accountable, but they took the time to get me and they wanted to help me and they wanted the best. So you're trying to replace it with something that's not soft and fluffy and woolly by any stretch. It's something that keeps you accountable, something that's going to tell you when straight when it's not when you're not putting the time in someone's not going to let you off the hook and what i imagine let's say for you Elliot, as a personal trainer is you will be probably modeling that you won't be modeling you know you feel it could increase it's great so you know, with your clients you stand there and go look that shit your shit unless you know don't bother coming back unless you're gonna make me feel good about me seriously or do you do a different strategy and it's it's not in essence attack and criticism that gets the best out of people it's objectivity it is accountability it is understanding them it's kindness and it's a balance between those domains and that's what you're trying to help someone grow within them to help them thrive uh, and most people fear that you'll take it away and leave them with some wet flannel like
1: oh everything's
4: great oh you're fabulous no it'll be fine just roll with it or cheerleader yeah you're great you're great oh it's going to be brilliant no it's uh, it's about helping develop what gets the best out of you that enables you to thrive
0: and finally, one of the biggest challenges most of us face when it comes to our mindset is with negative emotions. We have no idea what to do with them. We don't like experiencing them. They consume us. And this is something that I had to ask Dr. Tim Sharp, aka Dr. Happy, about in episode 255. Here's what he had to say. So now I now want to switch over to negative emotions, quote unquote, once again. And what utility do those have? Because you, like you mentioned earlier, being anxious is somewhat normal and being sad, stressed, all those things are somewhat normal. But in the moment that we're in them, they don't feel normal. They don't feel comfortable. So how can we start to maybe look at them in a little bit of a better light and have a slightly more optimistic perspective on those uh, negative emotions that we experience?
5: Yeah. Well, again, I mean, as you hinted at the early part of your question, I don't even really like to call them negative emotions because it implies they're bad and and they're not all bad. They can be problematic if they become Too pervasive and too overwhelming. So I'm not. I guess the caveat is I'm not suggesting that you know major depressive disorder, that serious psychological illness, is good. It's it's not. You know when it gets to that level, we need to. uh, You know by by definition, it's problematic, and we need to help those people get help. But there are normal, uh, you know, normal levels. These things happen on a continuum, and there's a. Uh, for most of us those unpleasant emotions are normal uh, and a normal part of life and even a healthy and appropriate part of life now so the simplest one to explain i suppose is fear and anxiety and then we can maybe look at some of the other ones but if you think about it one of the simplest ways to understand is to think about it from an evolutionary perspective and there are you know there's a whole branch of psychology called evolutionary psychology which personally i find fascinating um and it, it very simple is it's about understanding us humans today based on our History, you know, that the, the, we are who we are today um, because of what we've been over thousands upon thousands of years. And anyway, so if you think back, well, not even thousands of years, just it, but even hundreds of years, I suppose, fear and anxiety were really, really important. We would not have survived as a species without fear and anxiety. We would have walked up and patted that lion. We would have gone too close to the fire or we would have gone too close to the cliff edge, you know. So fear and anxiety actually, uh, it's like a, a protective mechanism, it protects us from. Doing dangerous things, from taking unnecessary risks, and I think so. That's pro- that's one of the easiest ones to understand. Most people can understand that. If, that if, or another way of thinking, you know, if you're a parent, uh, imagine if you had a child that had no fear or anxiety. They probably wouldn't last very long. It would be actually be really dangerous. We want our children to have a certain amount, not too much, but you know, an appropriate level of fear and anxiety. So, so that's probably the easiest to understand. We can see if we think about it like that. That fear and anxiety to a point in context is actually a healthy thing. But so too is sadness and grief. I mean, sadness, for example, and even anger to some extent, it, it shows we care. You know, it's a sign that we care about things, that we care about people, and so when we, you know, when we're grieving, for example, it's a, it's an indication of love in a way. I mean, it can be very painful and unpleasant, but it shows that we love that person or that we love that, um, and and it also often connects us with others. If you think about grief or grieving, we're almost always grieving in the context of other family members, other under uh, other relationships. So, so again, the bottom line is these things are normal. They are appropriate. They serve a useful purpose. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is they often connect us with other people. We we want to try and allow them to connect us with other people. Uh, the hard thing is that for many of us when we experience unpleasant emotions, we often withdraw. But if we can find a way to work against that, I suppose, and this is a big one, I suppose. This is one of my favourite topics of recent years, I guess. One of the most important things for psychological well being is to become more comfortable with discomfort. And I think too often we try to repress or suppress discomfort through things like drugs and alcohol. You know, alcohol is a common one. I'm really stressed what do I do. I'll have a glass of wine. Now, you know, I'm not opposed to a glass of wine or a beer or whatever it might be, but using that on a regular basis to suppress or to calm unpleasant emotions is not great for our psychological health and well-being. But there are other things that many of us do. I mean, many of us, you know, we scroll through social media or binge flicks. Uh, in a binge Netflix so that we don't have to feel and we don't and but what we need to do or what I would encourage people to think about doing a bit more of is allowing ourselves to feel even those unpleasant emotions because the more you can do that the less power they have over you Um, and the more you can free yourself up to then experience some of the more positive emotions.
0: So those are five absolute key takeaways when it comes to transforming your mindset. If you enjoyed any of the clips from today's episode, I'll pop them in the show notes below for you to go listen to the full episode from the guest you enjoyed the most. As always, team, thank you so, so much for listening. I hope this helps improve your mindset. Take care, and I'll speak to you all very, very soon. And that was the Simply Fit Podcast. I hope you gained a huge amount of value from today's episode. I feel inspired to improve your health and well-being